Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hello and welcome to another podcast. Today I am talking to Rowan Sanderson. Rowan is the Chief Nutritional Officer at Bella and Duke Dog Food and um, I guess I should prerequisite this interview because obviously, first and foremost, on this podcast, we talk about dog training and behavior, and that's where my expertise are. I want to make sure everyone knows I'm not an expert when it comes to dog food. I just tr- running this podcast, I like to have interesting conversations, and I try to find people that are are experts in their field. But I know from previous experience when I've done podcasts about nutrition and dog food that it's such a controversial topic. So if you think that there is someone that I should interview about dog food, um, you know, that that maybe has a different viewpoint or can bring something else to the table, then I'm very open to that. But I think Roa makes some really good points in this interview, and it's really interesting to hear uh, some of the science behind it, some of the the views and the um, logic that goes into how they make Bella and Duke dog food. So... Uh, yeah, give it a listen and see what you think. I think Rowan's got a really unique standpoint in the sense that he's actually out there involved in this company, actually making dog food. You know, this isn't someone that's just a hobbyist at home. This is someone that's actually doing it at scale. And I think that's really interesting. On an unrelated note, uh, for those of you that that follow me on social media, I've started posting on TikTok and I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, so many people, the reason I started on TikTok actually was because I put a post up on Facebook talking about social media and so many people responded saying, hey, TikTok, you know, is a a bit of a pit of uh, just bad dog training information. And it was a little bit depressing. And I have so many videos that um, either are on YouTube or are long forgotten. Some of them have never been posted anywhere. So I started um, just cutting them up into little slices that can go on TikTok and people seem to be really enjoying it. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that whole platform. Um, so yeah, if you're on TikTok, then be sure to check me out over there. You can find me as Nick Benger Dog Trainer. But without further ado, let's get into this podcast. So, hey, Rowan, welcome to the show. Nick, thank you for having me on. What an absolute luxury. Oh, it's really cool to speak to you. And, uh, you know, you were giving me some really amazing facts before we even started. So I, I just wanted to kind of get going and get into this conversation because nutrition is something that is obviously so controversial. There's so many different takes on it. I feel like the attitudes are shifting as well. And obviously, this is, I think on this podcast, we tend to talk more about training. So, but yeah. we see that in the training world too, where attitudes are shifting from like old beliefs to new ones. And there's been a massive shift in the dog food industry from, you know, like kibble foods and and canned foods uh, towards more of these kind of premium food lines. And it's interesting, actually, I was listening to uh, a talk by uh, the CEO of Starbucks and he was talking about what a massive opportunity uh, premium dog food is and it was really weird to hear someone you know talking about that but it's true like things are really shifting in that direction right it, there is i think there's been a whole paradigm shift towards you know focusing on health and maybe it's lockdown and people have more time to think about these things and they want to stay healthy i, I mean frankly that's one of the positives to come out of this And as people look to their own health, they also look to their dog's health. Or conversely, what we're seeing is lots of people are focusing on their dog's health and then suddenly going, hang on, should I be taking junk food out of my diet as well? (laughs) So it's nice that there's this kind of like cross-feeding where we all thrive together. So it's exciting times. Yeah, I think a lot of us relate to that. Like sometimes you know, you think about what you're feeding your dog and you think, hang on a minute, (laughs) my dog eats much healthier than I do. or, or do they quite often? Okay. I mean, and, and this is this is a really good question for you, Nick. And I think it's almost like falling out of the matrix because once you see it like this, you can't ever unsee it. It's like taking the blue pill. Okay. It's like saying, okay, at what point in time did we ever think it was okay to feed our dogs on a flavoured biscuit, the same one for the rest of their lives? Now, if you did that to your kids, 
that call child services. Yeah, that's I, it's really interesting. I so want to get into this because you're, you're totally <laughs> oh, no. right. Like when you look at some of these uh, dog foods that people just used to feed, you know, when I first got my dog, we're feeding the bakers, you know, like didn't know yeah. any different. And like, when you look at that kind of food now, it's like five different colors. And you like, it does look like a, well, it looks like a really awful breakfast cereal, right? They're like full of sugar. Like it, it looks terrible, right? Um, so just objectively, it looks bad. Like when you actually think, stop and think, hang on a minute. Like it's like yellow and green and red. Like that's weird. I know. I mean, can you imagine going to a zoo and they're like, hey, everybody come around. We're going to feed the elephants. And somebody comes out with a giant chocolate dis- digestive where they go, oh, it's special elephant flavored. It's been elephant vet approved. You go, well, stop doing that to that animal. You know, give you know, it some so greens. Fun. Give it, give it what it normally eats. <laughs> oh, it's so funny that you bring up zoo animals because just as you say that, I, you know, I do think like when you look at zoo animals, they're always fed just whole foods, right? Like just you know, uh, normal food. Like they don't fed any kind of pre-prepared diet. I, I feel like we've been sleepwalking through the last few decades, and when you look at things like Pet obesity is now at 50% of entrances into vets, 50% of dogs, more or less. All the vets that I've interviewed on our podcast are saying about 50%. The number one cause of every single symptom or number one, there's a 100% correlation with, you know, aging, joint ache, arthritis, digestive issues, all of those things. Um, And so the dogs are getting fatter. They're living less long than dogs previously. So longevity has gone down. Pancreatitis has gone up like 800% in five years in the UK. At what point do we not go, hang on, maybe there's room for improvement here. Right, okay. And and that's it. Yeah. Well, you said pancreatitis has gone up 800% in how long? Five years. Right. But people have been feeding feeding bad foods for generations, right? Yeah. it It was kind of like, I mean, if content is king... Yeah. context is the kingdom, right? So right. it was post-World War, lack of tin material, et cetera, et cetera, that we started going on to these dried food for dogs. And realistically, it's been more about our convenience, affordability and availability than what fits with the dog. So we've always been putting this kind of square peg into a round nutritional hole. Now, that's why dogs have got more illnesses now than they used to have, and it doesn't take some kind of super scientist in a big white coat to say, I tell you what, we're going to take all these kids and we're going to feed them, feed them on biscuits, different flavors of protein with virtually no protein in, loads and loads of carbohydrates and sugars sure. and fillers and preservatives and rancid fats because they're being baked. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens to them over a generation. We don't need to do that experiment because we know that ethically that would be cruel. Sure. Well, you know, I think like anecdotally, we can all see the, the, it just, it seems like a very strange and wrong thing to do. Right. But you said then, uh, you know, we started getting into these kind of commercial diets. So was that the twenties? Do you say world war one or? T- well, I mean, there, the, it, because there's, there's mixed stories. There's some myth and mayhem in there. Um, I was going to say, if that was the case, then surely we don't really actually have much data. I would imagine as to what happens when they're not fed that kind of food? Well, we do, because the, we've had vets for, for generations and generations and generations. And we can see, for instance, that it's... We're, we're kind of going slightly into a rabbit hole here, but that's cool. Yeah, that's I mean, the whole like, idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, as opposed to a dog We're going to go through many rabbit holes. <laughs> well, okay, so I was interviewing a vet the other day, and we're about to launch uh, raw cat food because there's loads and loads of people who have been saying to us, well, that's great. Why are you only looking after dogs? And why aren't we doing cats as well? Because they've seen the results on getting a dog. We did a survey. I think it was the biggest in the UK last year. We did 3,000 owners and we asked them to rate the changes. And I think 98% saw an improvement in the dog's digestion and, you know, bowel habits and all this kind of thing within three weeks. 
So, I mean, which is kind of crazy. And all the cat owners went, hang on, why are you excluding us? So we were about to launch a raw cat food. I was interviewing a vet and I said, well, how are we supposed to work out how much to feed a cat which has got hyperthyroidism? And why is it only cats are getting it? He said, oh, it happened mid-90s. We changed the packets of food that cats, you know, that cats get served in. And there are all these pouches. And we've noticed that since then, north of age five, cats are starting to get hyperthyroidism. And there's loads mm. of science on it, but nobody's changed it. I was like, holy moly. Wow. That's... I mean... So These are the animals the cons- we love. We just need to give this information to people so they can make an informed decision. So it's the packaging yeah. you're saying? So it's not just the food we feed, it's the way it's delivered. Wow. Okay. Well, there's some kind of like chemical... Yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Because I know in dogs, uh, hypothyroidism is becoming more and more prevalent, right? Like- well, we're getting both. I think we're getting both. And the thyroid is a super sensitive, super clever, um, equilibrating organ. And it's really sensitive to chemicals which can lodge on to the thyroid and act as a trigger in the same way that we would hope our thyroid hormones do. So they get in the way and they send confused signals. Yeah, because this is actually an issue for us as like dog trainers, um, because this can, uh, you know, these uh, thyroid disorders can have a big effect on behavior. Oh, well, I mean, before we even fall into that rabbit hole, um, I often look at it, and one of the things we've seen from transitioning dogs onto whole fresh foods, onto raw foods, because ultimately they're carnivores, so they've only got one means of raising, um, or they've got seven means of raising their blood sugar, and they've only got one means of lowering it. So they they don't really digest sugars and carbohydrates as humans do, as omnivores. Uh, In fact, they don't even have the enzyme amylase in sufficient amounts to break all of these starches down, which is why when you give your dog these processed foods, they have like huge stools which haven't been digested. Um, But they, because the proteins are so baked... And in such fine powder, they're spiking something called glutamate. Now, okay, remember how you feel when you've been and you've had a really, really big Chinese meal and you sure, can't get yeah. to sleep. Why? Because it's got monosodium glutamate in it, MSG. Yeah, I've, I think we've, I've definitely heard of that. So that is your number one excitatory neurotransmitter. Same in dogs. Mm-hmm. All of this processed food, so super relevant for you as a dog trainer, because it's effectively like taking kids to a ballpark and filling them full of sugar, super excited. Of course, they're not going to listen to you. Of course, they're not going to pay attention. And one of the things we've seen is that dogs are a lot easier to train, a lot calmer and a lot more relaxed when they're on whole raw food. That's so interesting because I've heard people say, the opposite you know i've heard people say hey if you have a dog that's really active you want to give them a food that has a higher percentage of carbohydrates in because that's going to kind of lull you know it's going to it's going to uh, sounds really unethical really when you say it but yeah. it's going to make them more, more uh settled or, or relaxed because they're going to be processing that as opposed to hey you give them loads of meat you're giving them a working dog diet they're going to be running around bouncing off the walls well, what we found is that dogs are more alert and focused, but they're a lot calmer. And one of the and I interviewed a really cool scientist who had actually discovered this glutamate in the fifties. Really nice guy. And um, what we've seen is dogs are more attentive and calm when they need to be, but they can switch it on and off. So they've they've got like a working dog diet, let's say, or a modern version because we put superfoods in to to look after their aging and antioxidants and stuff. Um, but yet the carbohydrate thing, I think it makes dogs really hyper and then really low. And that's exactly the same you'd see with humans. They have a blood sugar spike, misbehave, really, really kind of hyper. And then they drop, they have a a sugar drop and the same with dogs and dogs feel it more than humans, Mm -hmm. but 
I think it was 85% of people we surveyed, and we've served now 20 million meals in four years. So we've got a big, big old database. This isn't mumbo jumbo land. You know, this is proper stats. Um, Consistently, people are saying, wow, my dog's a lot less wired. It's calmer. Why? Because they're digesting these proteins slowly and absorbing them, as opposed to just having a load of powder go straight into the bloodstream and go... (gasps) Hi, glutamate. Sure. Is what do you think of these diets that uh, you know are being created with behavior in mind? Right, like we're seeing a lot more of these kind of specific diets. I, I think are starting to come into the market where it's like, hey, this is a calming diet, right? And back in the day, you used to have uh, one one thing that people used to do is they used to do what they call the serotonin diet. Right, where yeah. they would feed their dogs all kinds of, I can't even remember what it was, but it was very yeah. specific regimen. And the idea was that you were trying to boost the t- serotonin in the dog, which would help supposedly with uh, dogs that have aggression issues or, or whatever that behavior might be. Right. I, To the best of my knowledge, and I'm really keen to avoid this being anything other than all encompassing it, but I'm a broad church basically. And what I like to do is remain open-minded to everything because really what we do know is that we know very, very little. Um, So let's never fall into the self-expert myth. But um, consistently we've seen that there is zero need for a calming diet with great training, empathy, compassion, um, obviously, as you know, that starts with the trainer and how you show up to it. Sure. Yeah. And you're great at that and embodying that. But um, also a diet. Now, if you think that every single bit of a dog's cell, or every single bit of a dog's body, the cells, the water, everything in there is made from the nutrition they eat and the water they drink. You're in charge of that. You can help them with that. So if you're giving them high quality, premium raw proteins which haven't been denatured they don't have acrylamides in they don't have sugars and things like that the whole idea of needing to calm your dog is kind of irrelevant you you know you're almost dealing with a symptom that you've created by feeding the wrong food now that's just my opinion Okay. So you're saying it it sounds like you would say that that's maybe a little bit of a marketing gimmick and you don't, yeah, you don't really need a a specific calming diet. You just need to feed a good quality food essentially. Well, yeah. I mean, if somebody says, Hey, my child's got behavioral issues and you go around and they're feeling them, feeding them lines of sugar. uh, (laughs) I always love human analogies because as soon as you say it, it's like, of course. <laughs> well, it is. It suddenly, we, we make this into some mystical mumbo jumbo. And you look at it and you go, oh, it's just basic common sense, really. You know, give your dog loads of sugar. It's got a behavioral issue. It's aggressive. Mm, no, you've just pumped it full of really fast fuel <laughs> that it's not used to. I mean, what would happen if you go and you start your car and overnight, you know, your mum's phone up. She goes, oh, I had some rocket fuel left over. I've just topped your car up. <laughs> and you accelerate out of the end of your street, straight into the barrier, and you go, my car's got a behavioural issue. No. <laughs> You've just filled it full of some really, really dangerous space fuel. Maybe it's not meant to go in there. So are, are there any sensible adjustments that you would make? Or do you think that it is it really as simple as, hey, kind of one size fits all in terms of behaviour in relation to food? Or do you think that some dogs, do you think that that needs to be t- tinkered with at all? If someone came to you and said, hey, look, my dog's really hyperactive. Um, I say maybe you're already feeding them a good food, right? Is there anything I can do? Can I play with the ratios at all? Is there anything that can be done? Or do you think it's literally just just feed a good quality food? Um, it, really, it, it, honestly, I'd love to have a super cool scientific answer for you on this, Nick, but I would be utterly making one up. As I said, we've fed 20 million meals. I think we've got over 20,000 people eating, feeding their dogs a month. Consistently, everybody is saying, my dog is no longer hyper. Sure. Uh, You know, it really doesn't need to be tinkered with. I think where you can tinker with 
is if your dog gets car sick, you might want to use some supplements for that. If your dog, for instance, okay. um, if you if your dog gets anxious going to the vet, you can use these calming sprays with various. Oh, let's talk. Herbs. Okay, let's talk about this because this is interesting. Then let's go into maybe more specific issues, right? So you said then, uh, what was the first one you said? Uh, car sickness. What? Yeah. If someone's got a dog that's car sick, what can they? What is what particular things can they look at? Um, do you know I am desperately racking my brains now okay. for a really nice guy's name who has got a super product. If you give me a second yeah. to come back to that, I will we'll be able come to back answer to it. it. Because there's a, a really cool calming spray you can use sure. for dogs, and you can even put it on, for instance, their travel blanket. Okay. And it stops them getting as anxious and as likely car sick. Uh, oh, it's Valerian. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Because there's... So in terms of calming sprays, I guess there's, there's quite a few different ones on the market, isn't there? Because there's ones that work in different ways. Like there's ones that are like pheromone-based and all yeah. this kind of stuff as well. So um, I guess I'm, 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 I was just wondering from a nutrition standpoint... <laughs> You know, you said anxious dogs, for example, dogs that get anxious. Is there anything there or do you, again, are we just coming back? Is this not worth looking into? Oh, no, no. It's definitely always worth exploring. Sure. And typically, I mean, we've got a common balmy spray. Um, I can't even remember the ingredients, but we formulated it because we've done so many uh, partnerships now. We did one with a holistic herbalist who's lovely. Um and this common balmy spray seems to be really, really working. We've got great mm -hmm. feedback on that. Um, but the same person we use to actually do the ticks, as in ticked off, because obviously right. it's coming up to tick season, sure, sure. and you can make your dog substantially less attractive to ticks by changing the smell of them slightly. Sure. Um, and on that note, by the way, I appreciate we've, we've jumped one step along. I really, really, really do recommend that nobody uses any chemical that claims to be 100% effective against ticks on their dog. Because if it's strong enough to kill a tick, it's really not doing your dog any good. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, some to be honest with you, just from personal experience, I, I know that some people really struggle with ticks. I've not really ever had that issue. My dogs get the odd tick, but I just use the you know, tick tweezer or whatever they call it, yeah. and get it off and it's not really a problem. Yeah. The, the other one that people do, of course, is some people, so a lot of people will regularly treat for ticks and then also regularly treat for fleas. And I've never really treated for fleas unless my dog has fleas. Do you have an attitude on that or an opinion? I, I always look at it as this, is if you're using a chemical on your dog, which is strong enough to kill another animal, parasite <laughs> or, or other, you have to really look at what it's doing to your dog. Sure. Now, quite often dogs develop food allergies, sensitivities or intolerances when they've been through these chemical treatments. And it's really easy pathway. It's not yeah. Gesmatron or anything like that. The doorway to all of this is leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And if your dog has it, it's going to get sensitivities and allergies and skin disorders and all of these things. In fact, Leaky gut has got a hundred percent correlation with virtually every autoimmune disease that's ever been tested. So, so what is leaky gut? What is that? Oh, this is really <laughs> cool. If you understand leaky gut for humans and for dogs, you're in a position to look after your health and put a lot more life into your years. It's a really good topic. So, there's a lot of mumbo jumbo about it. Let's shine a torch into a dark place on there. Your intestine, if you imagine you've got a really long sausage dog and there, there aren't any coils inside, let's just pretend for this experiment, okay. and we put a torch in its mouth so we can shine a light out of its bottom. Okay, let's just pretend it's a really long. That's its primary interface with the outside world. It's the outside world inside your dog. And that food goes into your dog's mouth, it goes along, it goes through the stomach, it gets digested, it's broken down into chyme, enzymes, small intestine, large intestine, and then out. Okay? Sure. And yeah. you put all these secretions like from the pancreas and all that stuff. So, cool. The gut is almost meant to be like this beautiful, and it's all tight, so that the molecules that get broken down come across the cells. 
And as such, they come into the dog's bloodstream, they get filtered, and they go around and they do what they're meant to do. It's called assimilation, right? When you get leaky gut, say, for instance, if you're feeding your dog grains, grains create leak, leaky gut, stress can, and these chemicals that we were talking about, though, the gut, instead of it being a nice tight wall, like Game of Thrones castle wall, what happens is it opens. So what happens then is whole molecules of protein go straight into your dog's bloodstream. Now, the dog has got a job to do. Its immune system goes, whoa, whoa, excuse me, you're not part of Prince or Fido or insert dog's name here. And they start to mount immune response to it. And that's how you get food sensitivity. Okay. So that's, that's it. So this is why it's really important to, one, never feed your dog something which is going to open its gut wall or give it chemicals. So you keep that. Um, but the second part of this is loads of people talk about gut bacteria and how great it is for us. It is. In fact, we're selling the world's now. It's the only proven, clinically proven pet probiotic. And people need to get on this. We've seen it reverse parvovirus in people, in dogs. Like, wow. For, for real, in 12 yeah. hours. Now, but if you've got bacteria in your gut, mm. they're like the soldiers outside the wall, sure. your mercenary army outside of your, your Game of Thrones castle, and they come through into the bloodstream, oh, that's a bad day at the office. Sure. Because they go around and they create loads of inflammation and problems like arthritis. Right. So you need this gut wall to be intact, so food comes across the cells, not through them, and all the bacteria stay in the gut and do their job as opposed to in the bloodstream where they just go on a bit of a rampage. Just this, You said something about, like, so you're saying, so your probiotic has reversed parvovirus? Yeah. Now, it's not ours. It's okay. a really cool one called Phytospore and some super boffins in the U.S., Right. Um, uh, from microbiome labs, uh, they developed it, and it's a unique strain right. which has never been used before. And basically, they act like um, really, really health-conscious interior decorators. And they go in right. and they do something called core and they go, oh, "You've matched teal with Campylobacter. That's going to have to go." <laughs> I love your analogies. <laughs> so they go right. And this is what's really cool is, and the, I interviewed the scientist with this, and he said, if you'd given me $100 million in research money, I wouldn't have been able to recreate what Mother Nature does. And these bacteria, they go in, they have a look around inside your dog's gut, and they go, oh, that is pathogenic, and it's effective against Shigella, Salmonella, Campylobacter, all of these pathogenic species. They take nutrients from them, they surround them, they take nutrients from them, it's like they steal the packed lunch. Mm. And they give that packed lunch to beneficial bacteria, not themselves. So they end up growing a really healthy community in the yeah. gut of your dog. So are vets using this? Uh, increasingly. It's only, I think it's only been in the UK mm. uh, for five or six months. But, oh, okay. vets but this is just something it. it's just something you can buy off the shelf. Um it's not available to the public. You would need to buy it through a vet or through okay. a veteran duke. But if you want, we can send you a bottle, Nick, and I'll tell you what to do with it. Well, the reason I ask about that is because, like, I can just imagine someone, they've got a poor puppy dying of parvovirus and they think that they could just treat it themselves. Is that something, you know, presumably, you know, if you've got a dog that has these issues, you're dead. Parvovirus is awful. That's probably one of the worst things that a dog could get. Well... I, I'm going to just gently put my hand up and go, I'm going to stay in lane. I'm a clinical nutritionist and I'm a functional medicine practitioner. I'm not a vet. So that's point one. Point two is I can say that I have seen this authentically three times now. We saved our rescue cat who had um, bloody diarrhea and was super sick. Six hours turnaround. His brother then got parvovirus and the vet said uh, to our friends who lived just in the next village along in the national park, said, hey, uh, I think you're going to have to get used to the fact that your cat isn't going to make it. So we rushed around. We double dosed it with this antibiotic against practitioner advice. But we thought within with this probiotic and it was eating the next day. 
Got it. Now, my builder's dog, same story. Uh, Three dogs on the street died. Um, This is all recently. This is in the last couple of months. So I ran it past a vet I know, Dr. Brendan Clark, who's president of the RFVS. And he said, yeah, that's interesting because parvovirus, what it does is it's untreatable effectively. There aren't antibiotics that work against it because it's a virus. It's not a, it's not bacteria. And it totally decimates the gut so the animal can't absorb nutrients. And what this probiotic did is it went in and did its decorator thing very quickly and sorted it out. So sure. I can say from first hand, I've seen it work three times. Well, uh, that's exciting because like that, I would imagine, would be revolutionary, right? Yeah. Like that would be amazing. I mean, as I don't know how many dogs die of parvovirus, but that's a like a horrible, horrible uh, thing for a dog to get. Oh, it was heartbreaking as well. I mean, you know, it, it it's kind of compelling and it's the type of thing we get out of bed for. When your builder comes around and he's in tears and he said, my dog's made it through the night, thank you. You go, well, everything else doesn't really matter. Sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think, I think this is the problem, Rome, with like um, so much of this, like when you start talking, because we're kind of going down now like a, like a, I don't know what you would call it, like alternative not alternative medicine, but that kind of, you know, like we're getting into like that kind of natural way of treating things or alt- I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know the term, but um, that's uh, maybe where it starts- holistic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're maybe getting into- holistic. Sure. And that is where things start getting really, really controversial and people have really strong views. I think it will be worth talking about vets actually, because a lot of vets still do, obviously they sell, kibble diets uh you know they advise people against feeding their dogs raw what's what's your opinion on the kind of state of things where where we're at with with the veterinary profession well first and foremost okay i refuse and maybe this is rowan naive world but i'm staying in it and i like it it's a nice place I'm not going to be cynicked out of it. Um, is I like to think anybody who's prepared to spend seven years of their life learning how to look after animals is a good person and they've got Definitely. good intentions. So there's a lot of people writing on forums about my vet this and conspiracy theory, and I'm not interested in going there. What I'm interested in is throwing emotional bandwidth into what they do. And I think basically there's a difference between saying you're only going to use a natural approach and actually being open to a holistic approach. So I know loads of really cool vets. I mean, some really, honestly, inspirational characters who are going, okay, well, we've got these pharmaceuticals available, we've got surgery available, and we've got these holistic treatments, and we're going to look at all of them. And it's just a toolbox. It's not a right or wrong. It's a toolbox. If I use this one, this might happen. If I use this one, this could happen. If I use this one, and it's what I used to do in my functional medicine practice, is people like to get, you know, make a big war between alternative and holistic treatments and current pharmaceutical ones. Well, I've got to say a big thank you to some antibiotics, which have dug me out of a dark hole on occasion, you know, when I've been to Zanzibar or something and got something really weird. So thanks to that. Do I want to use them all the time? No. Do I have lots of powerful alternatives? Um, So I think vets are increasingly coming aware of the power of natural things like bacteria. But once again, a little sidebar on that. You think that 99.8% of the genetic material in your dog doesn't belong to your dog. It belongs to the bacteria that inhabits it. Sure, yeah. It kind of makes sense to look after that rather than the 1% of genetic material, which is your dog. Because mm. that's there for the benefit of the whole organism. So vets are becoming increasingly turned on to that. I think the ones that aren't are actually either uninformed or just afraid of the legal ramifications if they embrace something which might be perceived by some people as a bit wacky. But, you know, I know vets who are doing acupuncture, they're doing Reiki, they're doing uh, really interesting herbs, and they're using pharmaceuticals, and they're getting great results. It's just, let's be open-minded, because we only know a bit of the jigsaw, right? Right, okay. So where do you draw the line, Rowan? 
Because I've got to um, be honest, I, I think Reiki is, that strikes me as just some, that's some placebo shit, Rowan. <laughs> oh, you know, and it's so funny because I used to be, uh, you know, Sydney, the cynical scientist on all of these things. And I had a really, really bad accident. Okay. And in a quite a public forum, um, quite a famous Reiki practitioner kind of, I think I was doing a speech or a keynote or I was at some kind of conference. He said, you strike me as the kind of open-minded person who realizes that they only know about what they don't and blah, blah, blah. So I couldn't actually then say no out mm. of my painted corner. And he was, I'd say, the tipping point in this multiple break in my leg actually getting better. Now, is that the power of placebo? I don't know. Potentially. I really don't know, but I did see it work uh, on me and I'm kind of grateful for it. Where do I draw the line? It's a good question. I would draw the line and it's a kind of an intuition thing at doing something which I know works and I've seen works rather than guessing. Sure. Now, for instance, I'm experimenting with polyphenols at the moment. And I experimented on myself first, and I've experimented with my dog. And I spoke to one of Europe's leading cancer surgeons about this as well before doing it. He's got his products. And people were like, what? You're giving a psi powder to your dog? I was like, well, yeah, I've what, done some what of this. Is, what is this? Oh, so, you know, Brazilian acai, A-C-A-I. Oh, okay. oh, if you okay. use the powder and you put a little bit in your diet and your dog's diet on a regular basis, it does some really cool stuff. So forget all the marketing, oh, you're going to lose weight. What does it do? It specifically grows one of the longevity bacteria called bifidobacteria, which looks after you and looks after your dog. Tick. It also is a really powerful antioxidant. It's a polyphenol. It's an antioxidant. Now, it's been investigated for anti-cancer studies, which is really cool. But also, it suppresses something in humans called interleukin-6 and raises interleukin-10. Now, what does that mean? It means it lowers inflammation. Okay. Now, I'm using that because I've done the research and I know it works. Mm -hmm. I would always draw the line, uh, and I like to question dogma. That's one of the things we love to do at Bella and Duke, is people say, oh, you've got to dog feed your dog 80-10-10. It's like, do you? Who said that? And we like to have a deep dive into the science and see if it's just based on mumbo jumbo and opinion and what actually works. And that's Got it. Really so you are actually you're, you are actually digging through the kind of scientific papers at on a on a day to day. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is. Yeah. And then we change what we know as it improves. Like we I interviewed a lady. Oh, you would love a neck. Honestly, super cool. The type of thing where you go, wow. Yeah. Um, she developed a product to save her grandma after her grandma had had a stroke. And she found out that this particular bacteria that dogs get in their mouths and humans, it's the number one cause of pancreatic cancer. So she developed a, a little fake sugar, which you can give to your dog on a daily basis. Um, it's a prebiotic. And the bacteria go, oh, dinner's arrived, and they eat yeah. it, and it sticks up the mechanism. So these bacteria die. So your dog right. gets better teeth. So what was her background? Uh, she's um, an organic chemist. Chemist. She's. Wow. Uh, I think she's a professor at Stanford. She was a fellow at. Stanford. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. I, I think one of the issues. Let's just jump back to diet a second. Cool. Like your well, show. Think, <laughs> one of the things I think. Uh, <laughs> your chat. Your sofa. Your rules. <laughs> I think one of the uh, the issues with dogs, right, is like. I think we so often we want to go back to, hey, what's the natural diet, right? Yeah. And you see people, it's funny, with dogs, people instantly leap back to wolves, right? Oh, which are golly. obviously a different species. Um, but I think one of the problems, and maybe this is why dog food is so controversial, although having said that, I know human food is as well, um, is it's really hard to get a natural diet for a dog because dogs are scavengers. You know, I, I remember reading in uh, Ray Coppinger's book, I think it was Ray Coppinger's book, he talks about one um, kind of group of dogs in a particular area of the world, something like 80 or 90% of their diet is poo, right? It's like, so trying to get a, a natural diet for a, for a dog is really quite a hard thing to, 
do. So I'm not really sure how... It, it, do you think that that's a worthwhile line of thought? Or do you think, hey, let's just try and figure out what works well for the for dogs? Well, you know, I, this is awesome. This is a really cool question. <laughs> and it always makes me laugh. Because people almost present it as gavel down, case dismissed. Dogs are wolves. They used to eat this. I don't really, it's like, hey, I live next door to a goat farm. They eat Wellington boots. It doesn't mean it's good for them. <laughs> you know, literally, if you go around to help feed the baby goats, if you're not moving constantly, you're being eaten. You know, you've got a hole in your jeans. You know, yeah. since when do dogs need replay denim? Um, it, so I think it's really important to understand what dogs have evolved to eat because that plays to their digestion. So we have to accept the fact that dogs are carnivores like wolves. They are descended from wolves. The genetic dogs are carnivores. Oh, 100%. Really? Yeah. 100. But we've seen, I've seen many dogs eating, you know, blackberries off of a bush. We've seen wolves do Ah, that. Okay. And this is where we dive into the detail. This is brilliant. Dogs can eat a small amount of berries and even vegetable matter and, you know, certain fruits. And my dog loves apple. She absolutely loves apple. That doesn't mean they're not a carnivore. It's the percentage of calories consumed. So let's say, because this is really good. Let's say your dog's on a thousand calories a day, just to keep it really easy. If they ate a thousand calories of sugar, that'd be metabolically damaged really quickly. Sure. If they eat maybe 20 calories, which because you can eat quite a lot of berries and they've got virtually no mm. calories in them, they don't spike blood sugar, they're full of antioxidants, they're full of polyphenols, they're really mm. good for dogs. So, but are we, it sounds like now we're making an argument for uh, a carnivore diet is better for a dog versus that's what they actually would eat, right? Because... <laughs> Not quite. Maybe I've badly expressed myself, Nick. So here we go. Dogs are carnivores. If you were to look in any classification, any biology book, they have fangs. You know, they've got canines. That's why they're called canines. They've got these incisors. They can't chew vegetable matter. So that's a carnivore jaw. Okay. They don't move side to side. You can't get kind of kibble, which cleans the teeth because it just the dog, it goes <laughs> okay. up and down like this. Well, there's a myth buster just thrown in there. Yeah, dong. <laughs> you know, I mean, I actually did a myth buster with a vet and he said, it's around this time that I like to bring my teeth out. He goes, okay. your moves like this, it's a carnivore jaw like this. It doesn't go side to side. It's not like the dog has chewing gum. Um, so there's that. Secondly, they don't produce the enzyme which is required to break down carbohydrates. Now, in omnivores, you produce something called amylase. I produce it, which means that if we have delicious roast potato on Sunday because we deserve it, uh, we can digest it. Your dog is going to really struggle to digest that. If anything, it's more likely to ferment. You know, there are obviously like wild or feral or whatever you want to call it, domestic dogs now and they're not just eating meat and they've never really just eaten meat right well, because yeah but we're confusing two things so one is what is the dog and two is what do they eat okay so for instance we know that teenagers need healthy protein okay but what they're probably going to have is popcorn and big macs now, dogs are opportunistic scavengers because they don't necessarily know when they're going to be fed. So they would just ingest everything and hope that it's enough to feed them. It's very rare that unless it's toxic, because dogs are really good at being sick or really good at getting diarrhea. Yeah, um, I just thought that was what a carnivore out. was. Isn't that what a carnivore is? Like a carnivore just eats, like you wouldn't catch a tiger eating, you know, pizza, right? Because it's a carnivore. Well, cats are obligate carnivores, so they're much more carnivorous than dogs. It's all on a spectrum. It's not Mm -hmm. like a black and white switch. So, for instance, you've got cats, you've got dogs, you've got humans, and then you're going to, like, ruminids, herbivores, you know, so, for instance, cows, goats, sheep. Okay, maybe this is where I'm getting confused. Yeah. So dogs can eat a little bit. Uh, And to be honest... There are people who feed the dogs nothing but carbohydrates and they're going to live. So they're definitely getting calories from it. 
It's just whether or not it plays to their biology. So to go right back to where you you now, asked, I feel like we're. I feel like I'm getting you now. I'm. On, I, I feel like we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. Right. So so if you to go back, it's like going back to the fuel analogy in your car. You can put rocket fuel in your car, but it might misbehave, and the engine's going to wear out quicker. You See, can this is orange- interesting though because, like, maybe I'm wrong, right? This, and maybe this is something that I've misheard or whatever, but isn't like one of the longest living dogs a vegetarian or something like that? Like there's, there's some really long living vegetarian dogs. I, okay. Well, there's two things here. I, I One, I don't know uh, that. I, I, I really might be, don't know. I might be bullshitting. <laughs> it's, it's all right. It happens to the best of us. I, just, I feel so like I've heard that somewhere. I feel like... You know, I, for example, like I said, I, I straight up, right at the beginning of the podcast, I know very little about nutrition, right? But I've seen like Rodney Habib's videos where he talks about, yeah. hey, reducing cancer by just including some vegetables in your dog's diet, right? If Even if you just feed kibble, there wasn't there a study like that? Even if you just feed kibble, if you add veg, like it greatly reduces the risk of cancer. Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay, so why, do why, you say, were you saying don't include any veg, fruit, anything like that? No, okay. and this is where we go back to your first question, which was still kind of like going down all these trees, which is really cool. <laughs> so I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give a title to it, and then we can dive into different bits. Okay. So do when, when you're looking at evolution and wolves, do you need to take account of that? Yes. Is that the only thing you need to take account of? No. Why? Because we have science and there are new things coming out. And just because dogs have eaten it before doesn't mean there isn't something else which can also benefit them. And this is why I never get into this people when people go, it's a wolf. A wolf would never eat that. It was like, a wolf might eat a tourist. I hope my dog never eats a tourist. I mean, that could be really like dark times. So, you know... Yes, you need to understand what plays to your dog's biology, i.e. they can digest meat, they can digest some berries, they can digest some vegetable matter. And quite often, the vegetable matter isn't being used by the dog, it's being used by the dog's bacteria to grow. It's the substrates, the compost for their gut bacteria, which is really, really beneficial. So that's cool. But then you look at things like polyphenols, antioxidants, spirulina. Can you give your dog a little bit of spirulina? Yeah, there's some amazing studies about spirulina. And have dogs evolved kind of cultivating a little spirulina farm in the Hawaiian mountains? You know, maybe taking a day off. I'm not going to dog today. I'm going to chill. (laughs) I may even have a Mai Tai. Well, spirulina will benefit your dog, but have they evolved eating it? No. So it's a bit of a false philosophy to say you can only feed your dog what it's evolved to eat. You can't. You need to understand the mechanism. Can digest protein, can digest fats, really struggles with carbohydrates. Simple sugars like berries, win. Let's understand that. Can we add in some funky stuff that we've developed? Like we've seen that extra virgin olive oil in small amounts really benefits dogs. I'm really glad you brought that up because I was hoping that you would Explain that again for people that were listening, because but when we weren't recording, you were telling me about coconut oil. Oh, golly. Coca gate. <laughs> so, oh, so I, before we leap into this next exciting tropical adventure, Nick, I mean, <laughs> have I explained that? Does that make yeah, sense? I guess my, my only other question on that would be, so you say that, you know, you're saying that vegetables... Uh, probably more beneficial, really, for the bacteria as opposed to the dog themselves. Well, v- v- vegetables bring a couple of things to the party. Okay, um, I have, now I have this image of a carrot rocking up to a party with a small bag of, <laughs> of drinks and knocking on the dog door. Hi. Um, no. So, what do they do? They've got soluble fibres, so they add a substrate which help the gut motility. They act as the compost to grow beneficial bacteria, which is really cool, but also the chock-a-block with antioxidants. Now, when you feed these raw and grated, it makes them more bioavailable, the more easy to digest or to feed the bacteria, and they don't sugar too much. If you, for instance, roast a carrot, so all the moisture goes out and the sugar becomes more concentrated. So what we're doing 
by giving them some vegetables is we're really, really improving the lifespan and their health span. We're not simply interested in saying, hey, I've got the longest lived dog on the planet. It's much more like, hey, it's a happy, healthy dog and it's mobile, it's fit and it's got a life or years full of life as opposed to just a life full of years. Um, But that's really important because um, a lot of people, there are a crowd of people that think you should only feed dogs meat and you shouldn't feed them any vegetable or anything like that. So it's good to get, uh, it's good to kind of get your approach on that. And actually you're saying that these things are beneficial. Yeah. I mean, you know, our ancestors, ancestors may have survived simply on meat. Well, it just so happens we've got longer lifespans now and we've got meat and protein, you know, like healthy protein and vegetables. Um, I mean, berries are really, truly a superfood. Uh, I've been experimenting on a couple of clients, um, human ones, uh, simply remodeling their gut bacteria with uh, basically huge amounts of polyphenols and anthocyanins, which actually promote fat burning. Now, would they have eaten like that in the wild? No. But can we use it as a medical tool? Yeah. It's kind of cool. You know, you're opening a door to another adventure. I'm conscious we're running out of time, bro, and so I want to. I want to get. Do we need to cover Coca Gate? Yes, please cover Coca Gate. (laughs) Okay, so Coca Gate has created an absolute uproar, and I've just kind of sat back and slightly laughed, albeit compassionately. So there was a whole chat for quite some time that coconut oil was the 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 solve all for everything it was the panacea for all ills you needed a taller dog give it coconut oil you wanted to change its eye color coconut oil fight cancer whole coconut oil and all of these really wild claims turns out that the scientist when he was naming the types of fats in coconut oil the medium chain triglyceride kind of got it wrong And those medium chain triglycerides don't act like medium chain triglycerides at all. They act like long chain triglycerides, which means your dog can't digest them. Not only can your dog not digest them, they create intestinal irritation and they lead to leaky gut, which is the doorway to all these autoimmune diseases. So, we used to, very naively, we had it in our food. We believed all the research, all the stuff that's out there. We put just in small amounts. I interviewed this scientist and he said, actually, we were going to feed it to dogs for this probiotic study to create leaky gut so we could heal it. And then we thought that actually giving them coconut oil was not ethical because we're actually damaging them. So we just took dogs with gut issues instead because we knew that if they've got gut issues, they've got leaky gut and we just healed that. And he said it was win, win, win for everyone. And it was kind of, oh, drop the mic. Need to get coconut oil out of the food immediately. I really love that. I I love that a lot of people, when they hear things that are counter to their view, they kind of harbor down and they they don't want to hear it. So it's always really nice. And and I I love hearing of, especially a a business, you know, actually, because there's going to be more pain in changing, actually changing something when they've, being confronted with evidence. I, I really you just like have to that. be ethical about it. You know, our goal is to radically improve as the lives of many pets as possible and change their health. If we know something better, well, we have to act on it. I did a podcast with Jean Dodds, and obviously she's not here to defend herself. I'm going to try to get her point across as well as I could, and I'd probably butcher it. So sorry, Jean. <laughs> Dr. Dobbs, and for everything you've done, we apologize now. <laughs> but she was talking about how there's a lot of benefit in sticking to one diet. For example, if you feed chicken, you will only stick to chicken uh, and whatever combination and not switching between meats and doing all of this kind of stuff. Because I think her point was that it's uh, less harsh on the digestive system. It's almost like it becomes very good at dealing with that and when you change uh it's it's not so good (laughs) okay so i respect dr gene dogs and and all vets 
Okay. And she's done some pioneering stuff on saliva swabs and, you know, immunology and responses and everything. And I'm really, really hope that you've totally misparaphrased it because I'm going to call utter horseshit on that. <laughs> I, 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 in fact, my twaddleometer just actually the, the the dial fell off when I <laughs> okay. heard that. I mean, it's literally because the, I, I couldn't it, disagree with that more, and I can explain really simply why. Well, I should have I sh- I should have uh, done I, I should have done a better job of that, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> a better hatchet job. I remember it striking me as weird, I, or it struck me as like a really interesting thing because so often we hear about you want to vary the diet. Everything should yep. be varied. Uh, and that's the kind of conventional wisdom. So to hear someone saying the complete opposite was really interesting. I, I, I'm i really hoping that was kind of like a, a miss here because, um, you know, <laughs> from my perspective, and this is only my perspective, I think cycling the proteins that your dog is exposed to is really important for a couple of very simple reasons. One is if you feed the same food all the time, you're going to create just specific strains of bacteria as opposed to diversity. If you feed the same foods all the time, whenever your dog gets intestinal permeability leaky gut, which it will do because it might go for a swim in a river and there might be some chemicals in there and it'll get leaky gut before it heals, your dog will develop a food sensitivity to the protein you're feeding it. Okay. If ever you feed your dog the same food all the time, you will develop some imbalances because chicken is higher in, for instance, omega-6 fats than omega-3 because it's fed on grains. You're not just the food that you eat. You're the food that you, what you eat, ate. So for instance, you can take a cow and feed it grass and it'll have a really cool omega-3 profile in there, similar to wild caught salmon. You can take the same cow and feed it on grain And it's going to have a really, really kind of toxic omega-6 imbalance, which is going to damage your dog. So by varying the proteins, you're lowering sensitivities, intolerances, allergies. You're increasing the nutrients it gets um, exposed to. And importantly, you're providing different substrates to to feed different gills, shall we call them, of bacteria. So that's my view. That's my understanding. But, you know... I love to not be an expert. I love to just be a passionate geek about food and open to the fact that everything I know could be wrong tomorrow. I can only take, it's like a weather report. What does the science say now? What we're seeing clinically, if we see something better, well, cool, let's learn about it. Sure, yeah. Sorry if it seems like I'm shooting through questions now, but just because we're running running out of time and I just want to kind of get some of these done. So like uh, with Bella and Duke, it's not, uh, like labelled as a complete food. And I was wondering, I, I kind of did a little bit of reading about that. And obviously, oh. I, I think a lot of people will see that and that will, like that seems scary on the face of it. So I'm just, I just was wondering if you could explain that a little bit more. Oh, golly. They say, oh, we've tapped into a rich vein of interest here, Nick. <laughs> so what is a complete food? A complete food is something which has been decided by AFCO in the US as what is required for your dog to survive on, not thrive on. And it's a total guesstimate. And it's based on feeding your dog dry biscuits. That's what they've based it on, on dry food. Then FEDIAF in Europe have taken inspiration from this and they've said, this is what designates a complete food. Now, we took a stand on this And we decided we were not going to try and be a complete food. Why? Well, vitamin D levels, we think, are too pronounced in the FEDIAF. And there's a couple of factors, so I'm going to tease it out really quickly and really simply. Is One is, say, for instance, as a human, you were smoking 20 cigarettes a day, okay? Of course, your antioxidant requirement is going to be different to somebody who isn't or who isn't being exposed to pollution or who isn't 
uh, living in a city or perhaps lives in the, if we have two Nick Bengers, I mean, I know that's impossible. The world's not ready for that. But <laughs> imagine, imagine you've got Nick who lives in the country, totally away sure. from pollution and blue light and smoke and all this kind of thing. And then you've got Nick who lives right in the center of the city and electromagnetic power lines and all this kind of stuff. Of course, your requirements are totally different. And that just makes sense. Even temperature, you know, dogs need more calories when they live somewhere colder to keep them warmer. That's just like basics. So the idea of giving a one size fits all approach to this is a complete food for us is a nonsense. What we're interested in is what is optimum nutrition. Now, the only way you can have an entirely natural food reach some of their vitamin D requirements is to add things in synthetically. And we just consider that dangerous. So you will never see food recalls because there isn't enough vitamin D in the food. You'll see food recalls because dogs have died because they've been supplemented with excess vitamin D. That's really we- interesting because like the vitamin D is a massive conversation right now. And all we're all, or certainly all I'm hearing um, is that certainly in people, most people aren't getting enough vitamin D. And I've also heard that about dogs. So it's interesting that you're saying actually that a lot of these foods actually provide too much vitamin D. Well, I, I'm not saying that a lot of these foods do. I'm saying there's a lot more downsides to over-supplementing than under. And for instance, all of our cattle is largely pasture-raised, it's grass-fed. But to imagine that every bite is balanced is basically it's handing responsibility of your dog health to somebody who's never going to meet your dog and to try and just fall asleep at the wheel and go, you know what, my job here is done. We want to be cycling proteins. We want to be cycling foods. We use seasonal berries. Now, the nutritional breakdown of those is going to change according to the weather and the sunshine and the supplier and the soil they're grown on. To try and actually synthetically make a benchmark mm-hmm. strikes us as we're bending our ethics to fit in sure. so we can call it complete. Isn't that something that you kind of is unavoidable in the sense that people that say feed Bella and Duke, some of those people are going to have dogs in the countryside. Some are going to have like, there's all yeah. these variables are going to exist anyway. Yeah. And, and you see that when people say, how much should I feed my puppy? Well, okay. We'll give you a guideline for how to feed your puppy, but more importantly than anything else is to check your body, the body composition of your puppy. You know, if suddenly your puppy's putting on excess weight and it can't get up, well, maybe your dog's got a slower metabolism. It's really warm and it doesn't require the same amount of calories. Maybe it's not as active as other dogs. So every dog is different. Every dog is unique. Every human is unique. We know the baselines on what really works and what doesn't. And that's why we're seeing so much incredible success. I mean, 70% of people who are coming onto raw food are coming from processed foods. That's how much people are waking up to it. And they're not going back. It's not a quick try. You know, they're going, my dog's hair is shinier. It's more active. It can be more relaxed when it needs to be. It's poop is different. Uh, it, all of these things, it's IBS has gone away overnight. So we know these things which work pretty much for everything. Sure. And there's going to be things which you just are totally different. Your dog's going to have a, a zoomy day on the beach. It's going to come back. It's going to be super tired. It's going to want to eat like a horse, you know, as in not out of a nose bag, just quite a lot. Sure. What should, what should, so just to, just to wrap up, what should we be feeding our dogs? The very best way of feeding our dogs right now is to go for a balanced premium raw meal. Why? It plays to their carnivore templates. Personally, and this is what I give to my beautiful little water dog, Kismet, who's my joy uh, and constant reminder to be present and never take yourself too seriously, is I will give her a complete, and I say that inverted commas, balanced raw meal. I have to make them myself because I can't get them here at the moment. Uh, And I'll make sure she gets plenty of antioxidants, some good probiotics and some grated vegetables. Okay. And she she looked great if she says so herself. <laughs> and obviously, uh I you know, you would recommend Bella and Duke. People should should go and check that out. 
Oh, yeah. And we've actually even got a code for anybody who wants oh, to buy okay. Better awesome. and Duke, an introductory code called Dog Talk 50, 50. Oh, uh, and that's 50% off um, a box of Bella and Duke food if people would like to try that. Oh, awesome. Well, uh, thanks, thanks so much, Rome. Was there anything else that you wanted to shout out or is that... Nick, I think we've covered so many amazing topics. <laughs> I think we've got loads more to cover. So, you know, yeah. I'd love to invite you on our podcast and you That'd can awesome. throw some amazing light into it and we'll get a load of questions for you yeah. on um, behavior and how you can... Because we love, we've seen what you're doing um, and I think it's really important that every dog is trained and has a structure and a framework to live in um, rather than being pushed to the side because they're a bit aggressive or whichever. Yeah, I would love that. That would be absolutely awesome. And, you know, you're right. I feel like we could talk for so much longer and it, it makes me think, we were talking before the podcast about there's so many different opinions. It's really hard to kind of break through. I, I think maybe we need to do some kind of like panel podcast or something with a few people. So maybe we can invite you back to to do another uh, episode at some point well i'd love to do that thank you and i think everybody loves their animal and they're just doing the best they want and the best they can and i think just by being open-minded we can always learn new things and you know i'm learning things literally every day so whatever you ask me uh is basically the best i can tell you right now and it might need to be changed up tomorrow well thanks so much for joining us rowan Thank you, Nick. It's an absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Don't forget to check out that discount code that Rowan kindly gave us. I will make sure I put that in the description so you can get some discounted Bella and Duke dog food to try if you're uh, convinced by Rowan's arguments. And I think he makes some really good arguments for um, his viewpoint on nutrition. It's absolutely fascinating to hear from him and of course don't forget to check out my new tiktok account which is nick benger dog trainer and i will see you in the next podcast